Good morning. All right. Um, that was the presence of God. Yeah, the presence of God is not just atmospheric. It's the presence of Him, who displaces everything else, everyone else. And uh, when we worship Him, we don't just sing songs. We actually are at His behest. And when He is, when He comes in that way, we can sometimes feel our own unpreparedness or if we have prepared our hearts before he comes we'll be ready to be used by him and to hear his voice and uh, one of the things that I am glad that we did was that we tarried a little bit stayed a bit because we could discern that the, the holiness of God was there as a church we don't just go through um, the rigmarole of a, of, of, a, of a structured liturgy. But we allow the Holy Spirit to move it as He will. And so because of that, um, I was just wondering that whether you felt something different while we were worshipping. Not just emotions, but just the fact that there's a presence of one that seems to be intensified. Uh, when that happens, um, we respond to him in an appropriate way, out of obedience, and not just out of our own emotion, but out of obedience to him. Amen? And so, it's a very precious thing to have the, pre the presence of God. You cannot make it happen. You cannot, uh, you cannot conjure it up. You cannot force him to do it. You can't force his hand. You, you just respond to it. When he comes, we respond immediately to, to his presence. Yeah? I want to encourage you to prepare your heart before worship. I know it's sometimes so many things in the morning. And for some, th some people, 10 o'clock is even too early. <laughs> we're going to be in Malaysia, and, and the church that we're going into to usually has its this first service at 7.30 in the morning. And people prepare their hearts for that. I mean, because they prepare their hearts, they're ready for God to do whatever He wants to do. My children always have an intensified experience and they always want to go back to, to Kuala Lumpur just because of the fact that the presence of God is so strong there. But we can experience the presence of God in a mighty way if we prepare our hearts. The Lord is a God of preparation and He deserves it. If not, what will happen is that we will just keep on coming to Sunday and Sunday after Sunday and we will not see him. We will only see the liturgy. Liturgy is not bad. It's good. But we will only see that. And so what God wants to do is to open our spiritual eyes so we can see and so supernatural things can actually happen. Often it is the person who is, has discerned, is the ability to discern the little because he or she is looking hard that be, is able to be used by God. If you wait for things to be obvious, to slap you with a two-by-four, two four, it's probably too late. Yeah? He only gives his secrets to those who, are, who fear him and who have um, regard for him. Yeah? So I want to just encourage you that every Sunday, doesn't matter who's, who's preaching, every Sunday he is present and he's ready to be there. He is ready for us. I'm not sure whether we, we, we are always ready for him. Yeah? But I want to encourage you that we can be ready. We, we don't have to just come in rushed and all hot and bothered and, and uh, sit down and our minds are all over the place because we haven't prepared ourselves for it. So I want to just encourage us to just do that. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that as you come into the city, you, you unveil your bride and in a manner of speaking, we thank you for all that has taken place up to now with the buildings, and we thank you that this week, the, finally, the front face of the building, the scaffolding will be removed. And we ask you that even as it is removed, you will reveal yourself, even in, in and through and around, underneath and, and, ab and above the buildings and the external facade of the building, we ask you that you will be revealed. We ask you that your bride will, even as she's being unveiled, so to speak, um, reveal you. 
We thank you for yesterday's volunteers and for those who helped. We thank you for the way in which you have moved. And we welcome you, you who are present, to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn with me to uh, Psalm 84, just for a brief moment. We are, we've been talking about this long journey that sometimes we go through, in which in our hearts are the highways to Zion, yeah, the highways to God. We, we spoke about this last week and the week before. And in Psalm 84, verse 5, it says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of string, uh, springs or wells. Yeah? The early rain also covers it with pools. We, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. And it's, it's important for us to be able to see that actually God is not uh, sitting on His hands with no, no particular goal and plan or purpose for our lives. He's not just saying, well, go for it, whatever you want to do. He actually is moving us somewhere. So that even, if in, in your, if, even though you're in the depths of despair, you're in prison, God is moving you. That's why even for the, those who are prisoners, uh, Psalm 68 says, He leads the prisoners out of prison. He leads them out of prison. No prison, no, um, uh, no circumstance locks you in to stagnancy. He's the one, right? He's the one who puts the highways in the heart towards Zion so that you are not locked into your situation. Neither are you and I uh, listless with no direction. He has purposes and plans and destiny for each one of us. Praise God for that, isn't it? We may have destinations in mind, but He has destiny for us. Our destina destinations may not actually be the best thing. I was talking about how we, many times people have destinations and, 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 they, and once they get that, they are more lost than anything else. They got everything they worked for, everything that they prayed for and all that, but they were not spiritually prepared for that. And time for them is thin because they've not built themselves up in God. They've not followed God. By the time they've arrived at their destination, they are thin. They're not ready. They're not empowered for the thing that God has in the, for the future. But God wants to thicken our time and cause us to walk in pace with Him. And one of the things that we've been talking about is the fact that the path that He takes us on is often not easy. Sometimes it's downright impossible. And so Psalm 84 talks about the fact that on the way to seeing God in Zion, we pass through places which the psalmist calls the place of the Valley of Bakar. That was an actual pr place that many people, many, uh, many commentators think is somewhere outside Jerusalem, not too far from Jerusalem. But it's a very parched area. It's a very dangerous area. Lots of uh, bandits are there. So that even pilgrims, as they, as they look forward to going to, to, to Zion, to, to, to Jerusalem for, for the feast, they pass through this hazardous place. And in these hazardous place, pl places, the valleys of Baca, there are parched ground, no water often, very thirsty, and also dangerous. I'd like to talk a little, a little bit more about that because we've been speaking about this and I sense that, there, that this inevitable part of our life, this part in which things are just up in the air, up for grabs, and, and we feel most vulnerable, most thirsty, most parched, most in adversity, these places can be places of abundance. So we'll continue that theme that we've been going on in Falcon about abundance in, in adversity. Um, this morning, Cindy was shouting from, from me from the room and it says, Ab abundance in adversity. And it struck me because of the fact that the Lord is saying there is abundance in adversity for us. Okay? So I'd like to talk a little bit about that and focus a little bit more on this part of verse 6, as they go through the valley of, of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Out of nowhere, water comes, provision comes, deliverance comes, healing comes, joy comes. And I want to talk about how that can actually happen. If you turn with me to Exodus chapter 17, I'm looking at the ESV, 
we'll spend a few moments in this passage. It's quite famous, and we have actually spoken from Exodus 17 several times, but I think perhaps the Lord has something fresh for us today. So please turn with me to Exodus chapter 17. The children of Israel have just got out of have uh, been just delivered from the hands of the Egyptians. They've crossed the Red Sea, and they are now in the wilderness. And uh, things have been going quite smoothly, and the Lord has been leading them. And the way in which the, the, Holy, the Holy Spirit was leading them was that Moses was, would look at a, cl- a moving cloud, and the moving cloud would move, and when the m- cloud stopped, they would stop. When the cloud moved again, then they would move. They did not know when the cloud would move, but they had to keep their eyes on the, cl- on the cloud because no notice was given. Okay? So their, it, their, their movement was according to the dictates of the cloud. Yeah? The cloud would be the, the, the thing that, would, would, uh, that Moses would follow. And so Moses did not really have a choice or any creativity to exercise in this, in this task. He just needed to have his eyes on the cloud. Yeah? Uh, there was not much room for variation. He just needed to learn how to be faithful to following the cloud. Right? And so as the cloud moved, they will pass through different parts of the, of the wilderness. But he, there's a very interesting thing, a way in which it's described. Let's look at it from verse 1 of chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages. Yeah? By stages. Uh, literally, it means by pulling out the tent from one place to another. Yeah? From one dwelling place to another. They, it's as if they were moving from one dwelling place to another dwelling place. One station to another. So some, some translations would say they moved... Um, they move by the journeys, yeah? by the journeys. It's almost as if each journey was a, a, a each, each space that they were moving was a place in and of itself, from dimension to dimension, from place to place. So they move from stage to stage. So, so ESV is pretty good by stages, yeah, by stages. Um, I think the word is um, arah. Okay, by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. Rephidim was known as a place of, of, of springs, but by the time that they came to Rephidim, it says, there was no water for the people to drink at Rephidim. And so people were not happy. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Verse 5. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. The people will drink. So, Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Verse 7, And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? There, this little passage that we've seen is really a little um, uh, model of how God leads us through this valley of Baca in our lives. This incident looks like it took place within a short space of time, but it could also very well take, over, take, take, take place over a, a period of years um, in our own lives as well, because this is a pathway that God often leads us. But anyway, the first thing that I wanted to note about the way in which God leads us through the Valley of Baca or the places of, 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 of dryness or places of adversity is that God moves us by stages. He moves us by stages. He moves us not necessarily smoothly, 
but he moves us from one stage and then we have to finish that stage and he fulfills what he wants to do in our life before we go to the next stage. Now, some people don't get that. So because of that, they're stuck in one stage for a very, very long time. But the thing about it is this, our progress in God, our increase in strength in God has a lot to do with how we are responding to God at this particular stage of our life. And at each particular stage, He builds into us a certain ingredient, a certain truth, a certain knowledge of God, a certain experience of God that changes us. Does that make sense? He, at each stage, when we indwell that stage that God has in us in, that, in, in our lives, He is doing something that will put a substance of faith, of, of love, of intimacy, of character of God in us as an important ingredient because that stage is necessary for the next stage. Now, we tend to think about, about it this way. Let me know where we're going. As long as I know where I'm going, I'll just put on my GPS and I'll just drive there, right? But you can't unless that the next stage has been built up by the, pro- by the stage before. And so that's why a lot of times when we are praying, we're, you know, we are people who are kind of, we want to know what's happening in the future, right? And so we say, God, is this going to happen or is this not going to happen? Am I going to marry this person or I'm not going to marry this I'm going to pass my exam or I'm not going to pass my exam? Is, is this court case going to be concluded in, in my favor or not? We are wanting to know what the outcome is going to be, correct? We are very outcome-driven. We're not process-driven. And so because of that, we are always living out of time. We're living in the, in the future. Our anxieties have, the fact, have, have power because of the fact that we are fixated upon what will happen in the future. So because of that, because of a future uncertainty, our present becomes very anxious, anxiety-driven. Because most of the time, we're living out there. And so a lot of times, even when we are seeking the Lord, we are, we are reading the Bible, we are hoping that God will speak to us, the most of the questions that we are asked is, is it going to be okay? Is it going to turn out okay or not? Am I going to hit the mark? And what God often does is that He doesn't say anything about that. And sometimes we get very frustrated in our quiet time because God isn't speaking about all that's going to happen. He just says, do this. Just do this. And I have found in my own quiet time, a lot of times, when I'm asking God about the future, He'll just say, be strong. Be strengthened. I will strengthen you. Strengthen for what? I want to know about that. And He's telling me about this. And one of the things that I, I, it came to mind as I was praying today has to do with the fact that in at least one of these stages, the Lord is building inside us something that is really important. It's called being. It's called being. Um, Heidegger used the German word Dasein, which means being able to make a stand for itself. A creature that has being is not a creature that's plastic, that molds and forms according to anything that, anything that po- pokes it or, or pushes it. A creature has being, has Dasein, okay? When it's able to, it, it means something. It has a, it's able to make a stand on its own. It stands over against everything. When that creature says, I am this, it is also saying, I am not that. When the, the creature makes a positive statement about itself, yes. It also means no to that. Now, what God does in at least one of those stages at the beginning is to establish His being in us. If He's going to establish His yes in us, His faith in us, His power in us, or His healing in us, or if He's going to establish His wisdom in us, He establishes it by causing us to know what it's not. Now, 
most people, they can only say yes, they can't say no. Okay? Because they are people pleasers. They are concerned of how people think about think of that or look at them. They can only say yes, they can only affirm, they cannot say no. And because of that, now I'm speaking this because I've ex- I, I, I have wrestled with that myself. Okay, so I'm, I'm not saying everybody else is that way and I'm free from that. I am the most, the, the one who, who's, who, who has struggled with this. I realize that when God wants to do something in my life, He will actually cause me to be strengthened in the yes that He has. If He has something of a destiny for me, if it is a calling for me, I have to say no to all the other things that may be attractive but are not my calling. Now, some people can only say yes. They don't have the word no in their hearts. When you ask them a question, they will only have one answer for you. Yes. Can you come? Yes. Are you a Christian? Yes. Are you a non-Christian? Yes. They only have one answer. They're a door guard, they're a God doorkeeper that can only open the door. They can't close the door. It's almost like they had the urim and the turim and one is missing. Either the urim or the turim. And they can only say, yes. Whatever question you ask them, their answer is, they may say, absolutely. Or they may say, sure. Or they may say, I would love to. They would say all kinds of ways that make their affirmation of yes attractive and beautiful and aesthetically pleasing and, and connecting and all that. Yes. 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 Yes, 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 yes. Do you like this? Yes. Do you like eating durians? Yes. You like the smell of this? Yes. They say yes very, very well. And based upon that 50% answer of yes, they are very well liked. But they don't go anywhere. And I realized that for many years in my life, I had a degree of success in things that I did because I said yes very, very, very well. In fact, they call me, I'm sure, yes, Cole. Right? Yes, he's affirming, he's positive. He's all those things that yes do. Because, you know, there was something in me that was so infirm inside. It's so plastic. It's so un. It's so muddly. That I just did not know how to say no. But on the strength, strength of the yes that I would say, I said yes so well. In fact, the whole demeanor of me was yesy. I was so yesful. And people came to my church because there was such a positive spirit about it. It's good, but it's only 50%. And in the end, it's not a real yes. Do you know why? Because yes can only make a stand for itself if it's able to say no to everything else. And sometimes what God has to do is to work in our lives in this stage of our lives, so he, can ex- ex- so he can establish a real yes in you, a real positive thing when you say, God will heal. G- God will deliver. God is good. If not, all your words and my words will be positively, very yesy, but it has no substance in it. Because when you went through difficult times, your yes didn't have substance. So yes involves, on the other side of it, of it, in order for that yes to be strong, 
being able to say no to everything that comes against it. Or else you're not a real yes person. You're not actually positive. You're just, you don't have being, you only have a voice. And your voice doesn't have substance behind it. And my voice doesn't have any substance because of that. You know, we Malaysians have a grudge against the Thais. Because during World War II, Thailand was very, very positive. When the Japanese came to Southeast Asia, Thailand declared neutrality. We are friends to all. They said yes to the Japanese. They said yes to the Malaysians. They said yes to the Singaporeans. They said yes, 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 yes. yes. And so when the Japanese wanted to come in to attack Malaysia and Singapore, Malaya and Singapore, guess what they did? They said, we want to come through. Yes! And that is why, if you talk to the people in the Malaysian military, they will say, we don't, like Th- we don't trust Thailand because Thailand was neutral and they just said, come through. And Malaysia went through a period of several years of indescribable um, oppression, abuse, and, uh, and violence to it. And I remember there was a period in which the church had to, dis- had to come together and, say, and, and, and bring their Thai brothers and sisters and say, we forgive you for that. And we don't hold a grudge against you. But there is a way in which people who are very yes, who cannot say no, who cannot displease or make a stand for whatever it is that, that, that infinite positivity that God has for us is, don't actually have anything substantial. They are positive, but they are positive They are yesy, but not real yes. No strength. And what God does sometimes is that He works in us by stages. So the Word of God is yes and amen. And so when God says the Word is yes and amen, it means it will be tested. The word of the Lord is te- like silver tested on the, on the ground seven times, in the fire seven times. And so what happens is that when God leads us by stages in this valley of Bakar, He's actually strengthening us. And so what happens is that sometimes we experience a lot of attack, a lot of discouragement, a lot of criticism, a lot of times in which you have to stand alone because you're going to earn that yes. You're going to substantiate that yes. You're going to validate and you're going to authenticate that yes because of the fact that yes is hard won. Even I say, but see, or else what will happen is that anybody who comes up for prayer can ask me to pray for them for everything that they want. But what about God, right? God has better than what they want for themselves. What they have, he has better than what, what I have for myself. Not necessarily opposite, but better. And so when I come to God to pray, I don't, allow the, I don't ask the Lord to be my shield and my butler. He's my shield and my buckler. So if He buckles me, you know, I'm wearing this pair of jeans. There was a time in which I needed it buckled because I was flowing out of my jeans. I lost a bit of weight and now my buckle buckles. A buckle bucks. <laughs> it bucks. We shall not talk too much about it. I know I'm going, I'm going bad places. Um, it bucks the tendency to go out of control. He's my shield and buckler, not my shield and butler. And so if I want that real, uh, the real yes, I have to take God's no. Sometimes when God says no because of that. Because of the fact that my, I, that my children mean a lot to me and I'm very careful about the way in which Uh, we steward our children's lives, we've had to say no many, many times to them. Thank God, in my miserable, yesy, yes kind of life, I made a few times the victory of saying no to them. So that I'm not just their friend, not just their pal, not just their kind of daddy-wangy 
you know, that they, the daddy waggy that they can wag at me everywhere that they go. Thank God for that. And I have my wife to thank for that. Sometimes God puts, put, puts, puts someone close to you just to put something of being in you, something of Dasein in you, where in you and me, in which we make a stand, and that stand authenticates the yes, makes it yes. So there was a time in which I believed in healing, but that healing was tested because I remember there was one time when I had um, a dengue fever, and uh, when I was in dengue fever, I was in a church, and this church was crazy. It's a crazy church because they didn't believe in medicine. Oh boy! And so I had dengue fever. We had gone there, and I had terrible. If you have dengue fever, you have terrible headaches, right? You terrible headaches. You can't get out of bed. And <laughs> I was staying in the church house. Oh, I really regretted it because there was these brothers who would say, "You believe in healing, right?" Yes. So, by his stripes you are healed, right? Right. Okay, get up. And I said, no, I can't. And so they grabbed me by the, by the shoulders. I said, oh, please, please, I'm having And they walked me up and down. By his stripes, I'm healed. You are by his stripes, I'm healed. And I said, by his stripes, I'm healed. By his stripes, I'm healed. Oh, boy, I hated it. After a while, while they were dragging me, somehow by saying it, a sudden revelation came upon me. And I just said, okay, it's true. Somewhere along the line, in those 25 different back and forths we went, something actually happened. And I could feel the pain of my headache, and I could feel on the other side, a delicate, what Madame Guyon calls a delicate little something coming over me. And it said, you know what? Jesus died for that. Jesus died for that. Jesus died for that. And I just grabbed hold of it, you know? It was a little thought against all the barrage of pain. I just grabbed hold of that. I said, oh, Jesus died for it. I didn't try to, um, I didn't try to obsess myself with it or try to indoctrinate myself. I said, okay, if it's true, okay, I'll go with it. And the more and more I held it, the more and more it began to hold me. And after about 30 times walking up and down, I kid you not, I felt better. The headache went away. I'm told that dengue never goes out of your body, but this was almost 40 years ago. I've not had those, those symptoms. Sure, if you tell me I still have dengue, sure, but I'm not feeling it, right? So, so here's what I, I want to say. There is a way in which God wants to establish His yes in the face, in the teeth of Bakar. It's a whole series of no's. And so I want to put it to you that perhaps God may be saying, make a stand for Him. In that sense, in the sense that if you say yes, if you say I'm following Jesus, you are actually saying to everybody else, I'm not here to please you. And for many of us, our first battle will be with that. So that being a Christian is not the religion of being nice. So what God does is not just give us a voice, but gives us a being. Okay, so they were there. And they had no water in Rephidim. I'm going to have to kind of move along here. Um, and the people quarreled with Moses and says, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people test thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us with our children and our livestock with thirst? And so Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. It's very interesting. During this place, during this period in which we are going through the water of the, 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 the valley of Bakar, we experience a very similar thing that what the children of Israel experienced. It was God that brought them out of, Mos uh, out of Egypt, but they blamed Moses. Right? They blamed Moses for the lack of direction that they were going. You brought us to this place. You want us to die. That's what you want us to die. And what happens sometimes in, in, in the valley of Bakar is that 
when we face uncertainty, there are resonant lies that are subconsciously or unconsciously in our heart. There are places in which we are not sure about God. These are places that automatically play the old recordings of bad news and cal calamity and catastrophe. They play it out really clearly, very vividly. Plato calls it the lie that, that, that lies at the bottom of the heart. It's just there. And what God does is that he heals us from that by calling us out in this place. Now, what, the, what happened with the children of Israel is this. Instead of keeping their eyes on God, they had their eyes on Moses. They had the idea, I think, that if we are min moving in God's will, things will not go wrong like this. We won't come, God will never bring us to an empty place, right? He always places, brings us to a place of abundance. Yeah? He always does that. But here is Moses. He led them. And they blame Moses for bringing them to this place of thirst, of, 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 uh, of uh, lack of water. Yeah? Lack of water. I want to put it to you that in the journey that we, place, we, 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 we take with God, there are times in which God will bring us to really dry places. And if we don't have our eyes on the Lord, we will think that we have moved to the wrong place, or God has made a mistake, or somebody was stronger than God and was able to rescue from God's arms and take you to this place called Bakar. That God is not strong enough to overcome Moses because Moses now had taken them to Rephidim. Before, it was God who took them out of Egypt. Now it's Moses who put them out to, to Rephidim. That somehow God is not enough, to, not enough to overcome this human character that's able to take you into this terrible place. And so they blame Moses. Instead of, instead of looking to God, they saw Moses as the, the God, the overall controller. And that's what happens to us, you see. We think that when we're going into to difficult situations, it's this person or that person who's stronger than God, who can change the trajectory of God's, God's, God, God upon, on, upon our life and make us the ones who are, who are under the control of the human uh, agents, agency. And as a result of that, by not having their hearts heart on God, they blame Moses and then they blame God as well. They blame God because they had taken their eyes off God and they had seen the human agency as the most powerful and because of that, they didn't know what God was like because their eyes were not on God. When you don't have a vision of God, you will necessarily project upon God all your fantasies, all your deep seated lies in the heart, the pl what, what Plato calls the lie at the bottom of the heart. Does that make sense? Now what God wants to do is to cause us to forget that. Forgetting is a healing word, word in, in which the imprinted, uh, embedded lies that are in the heart, the lie that God is different from Jesus Christ, that God is somehow separate from Jesus, that He is the the, 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 the angry father, whereas Jesus is in tension with the father, Jesus is the nice guy. And there's this lie that causes us, uh, contrary to what uh, Sonia said, to be intention, to see the Trinity to be intention. But that's a lie. The lie in our heart says that the father has found something that he's not happy with you. And because of that, he's not for you. And Moses has been sent by God to kill you. And God is going to allow that because he's not powerful enough anyway. And what happens is this. God does a work in which he deals with that lie. And may I suggest to you that when the Bible talks about forgetting, most of the time it's talking about how we should not forget the commandments of the Lord. But there are a few situations in which God says, you will forget. Can you remember some of them? When Joseph went through his imprisonment and his slavery and all that, God brought this stuff out, right? And after that, through by doing that, and he, he, he clung to God, God healed him. And so when he gave birth, uh, he, he, had, he had a son. 
by name. He called him Manasseh. Why? Manasseh means God has made me forget. Forget. Yeah? Uh, Psalm 45, God says, forget your father's house and your people and the the king will desire your beauty. Sometimes you have to leave, leave those family backgrounds behind and our, our upbringing behind. There's a resonant lie that God uh, is healing us of. But Isaiah chapter 54 says, you will forget the shame of your youth. That's a healing that God wants to bring. And Philippians chapter 3 is most famous. I'm sure you all remember that. Not rem- forgetting the things that, are bef- that were behind, I press on to that, which is for. It's interesting that the Greek word for forgetting is not caring. Not caring. Otherwise, not nursing the wound. Not caring for the wound. Not caring for the wound. You will come to a point where you will actually forget the wound. And God has done that in Jesus Christ because of His blood. But in in the path towards Zion, God is healing us by causing us to forget those lies. And those lies will come up. They will come up all the time. But you've got to know that those are lies. Those are there that are, there, that, that are not even necessarily rational, but they, ha- but they are a lie. They are a lie, okay? And then God said to, to, to Moses, after Moses was like calling out to Jesus, to God, it's like, why, why, why? Verse 5, God said, Pass on before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it. We're going to actually um, very quickly talk about these, these two things. It says, pass on before the people. The word for pass, pass on, or go beyond, is a word that can sometimes be translated alienate, make a difference, separate out. Go beyond. And what God was saying is this, there are, there are human agencies that you have to go beyond. Yeah? You have to go beyond the human ideas and human thoughts and human pressures. And you have to sometimes, in order for you to establish your yes, you have to go beyond what people are pressuring at you to say or to do or to conform with. Yeah? And so what he he said to, to Moses, he says, go beyond the people. And this is, there's a point in which God actually, during this place in Bakar, he calls us out. And sometimes you're going to have to do it on your own. On your own. Without the approval of your cohort. Without the approval of your family. Without the approval of those who you desperately seek the approval from. And so what God b- begins to do is that He actually separates us so much so that the movement forward is a movement that separates you out from public opinion. Let's uh, look at this. Go on before the people. Go on before the people. There was a situation in which Cindy was a uh, father had died and um, had left a small inheritance to her. Not not a big one, but it was it was not nothing either. And uh, it was duly signed and settled. But the person that he was had been close to had give had made a lawsuit against Cindy to claim everything. Yeah. Claim everything. She was um she did not have the best of intentions, yeah. I'm just putting it mildly. But something that was happening is that in that particular town she was very influential and she was influential with many of the legal people that were there. And people who were advising, were advising Cindy were telling her, there's something really fishy about this. But every time she went to, into the process, she could see that there was a wall 
that was irrationally against her. And uh, this person wanted all of her inheritance, wanted all of it. And the lawyers that she had were working on it, and it just kept on going on and on and on and on. And you could see that the lawyers, there was something fishy. They were, they, were, they were not acting in her best interest. Finally, there came a, a point in which um, some negotiation happened, and they said, okay, you, you can take 70%, you just give me 30%. And the lawyers were pressuring Cindy because they knew this could be settled very easily. Take the, 30, th- take the 70%, give her the thir- 30%, and all that. And she felt the pressure of that. And then the lawyers put it up to the notch and says, you need to give us an answer by February the 9th, which was Kaylin's birthday. And there was something so um, diabolical about that. The spirit of it, the whole feel of it was so bad that, 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 you, that she, it's almost as if she could see the face of the devil in it. There's something about the smell of that, 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 what, that even... It, that even in, made her want to, that pressured her to accede to their claims, their, their robbery on Kaylin's birthday. And it was then that she said, no, I'm not going to do it. The lawyer said to her, if that's the case, you're not taking our advice, we refuse to be your lawyers anymore. And so Cindy had to enter into it without a lawyer, pro se. And it was in this place where God was leading her beyond, alienated from, separate from, distinguished from the legal help that she had. She had. Put it, to put, put it uh, in, in, in a very brief way, it was at this time that God strengthened her. Every day we would pray, and every day God would give a word. And as He gave us a word, strength began to come. Resistance began to rise up. Do you see? We call this Dasein. Call it being. As, the, as, as God gives us His Word, we receive His Word, the being gets stronger and stronger. Does that make sense? You are strengthened by the presence of the Lord at this stage. And at this stage, we had nothing humanly going for us. There was a whole system of bullying that was more powerful than us, except for the fact that in the Lord, as we wait upon the Lord, we grow strength. And as strength began to rise in that she had the strength to be able to say, okay, I'll go by myself. And she won. She didn't have to give the 30%. Isn't that amazing? Later on, she talked to the DA and the different people and said, yes, there's something that was very fishy that was going on even with the judge and all that. So no names mentioned, but just let you know, there are times in which God says to you, move beyond the people. Now, the thing is this. Most of us go with the people. We go with conventional wisdom. We go with what's PC. We go with what everybody else says. What we go with what's smooth, what, what's nice. What's nice? And you have no being. You only have a voice, but that isn't even your voice because it's the voice of everybody else's. You don't have a voice. You just copied from other people's voices because you only have one word. You only know how to say yes. You don't know how to say no. You don't have a substance in there that has met you closely and, may, and, and stood by you. And uh, like Paul says, when everyone left behind, he would, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. He was your strength, strength and stay. That is what you call a yes. Anything other than that is just nice. No substance, just nice. And what God was doing is that he was doing a work in Moses to get him beyond the people so that he will never be the people's people person. He will never be the person who's this Mr. Nice Guy. And so he went beyond the people. Oh, I see. And then God says, no, you're not just separating from people. You're going towards me because he says, I will be standing on the rock there. Who are you going towards? Not just away from the people, but you're going towards God. Yeah, he says that, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and people will drink. And Moses did so. I love that. 
You see, unless you strike the rock, nothing will happen. You can hear from God, you can do your quiet time, you can feel it, you can sing about it, you can worship about it, you can write poems about it. Unless you take your staff and strike the rock, nothing happens. And so I want to put it to you that perhaps we as a church can easily fall into the, pro the, 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 the mistake of feeling it, but not doing it. And that's why in our devotions we have question four, right? What do you want me to do differently? Sometimes in your devotions you can do start with that first. But what do you want me to do differently? Unless God brings us to an action in which with our staff, the place, the, 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 the instrument by which we are able to hear from God and God is able to work with us, and we can connect that with the actual rock, the actual thing, we will still be limited to the inside. Just a subjective kind of feeling or experience. What God wants to do is to cause change to happen. Amen? He wants change to happen. I'll give you a, 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 finally, before we, we close, it's already 11.59, but we, you know, when Kaylin uh, went to medical school in, um, in, in Michigan, one of the crushing things about going to medical school is that it's the fees. The fees are horrendous. Just horrendous. And living away from home is very expensive. Ann Arbor is a very expensive place to live in. And so, as she looked at a mountain of debt ahead of her, she could not feel excited about medical studies at all because it just, it just over, overwhelmed her. But there was scholarships around. And there was one particular scholarship that offered to pay all the fees for the second, third, and fourth year. Yeah? Wow. All the fees? Wow. That's even better than when she was in undergrad. <laughs> but what needed to happen was to not only really get excited, there were lots of forms to fill. There were forms after form after form after forms. There were so many forms to fill that she needed the help. So what needed to happen is this. In spite of the risk of it all being a waste of time, Cindy helped her. And she, the, the two of them got together copious pages of forms. Even that requires hope and strength. Amen? And at the end, you apply it and you don't know whether you're going to get it or not. But sometime, some, at some point along the way, Cindy and I we were praying and we felt a little bit that delicate little something. If you can hear that, you have tremendous riches untold. If you can't hear it, it's a toss-up. And so God has given us time to develop the hearing so much so we don't go by what the people, as you go beyond your people, take your, take your thing. But at some point, you have to sign those forms. You have to do something. You have to say something. You have to speak it out. Amen? You can have plenty of revelations during worship, but if you got, God gives you an, a revelation and you don't speak it out, it is as if you might as well not have had it. You can sing and sing and sing and sing till the cows come home, until the cows start singing as well, and it's absolutely nothing. Unless you obey God and you do this one thing, step out. Amen? And so, they did it. And guess what? Lo and behold, we got the news. Before we got the news, Kaylin was hearing about all these other students getting it, and she was not getting it. Day after day after day, after several weeks, the time had passed by, and many of her friends had got it, but she had not got any, any word. And it was at this time we could see the distinction between what was happening in the physical realm and what was happening in, a, in the realm of prayer begin to separate out. In the physical realm, it seemed like nothing was happening. But in the physical realm, I remember telling Cindy, I don't know why. I cannot help it. I believe she's going to get it. 
cannot help it. After a while, it becomes compelling. Now, you and I are called to be priests to hear from God, so much so that the Word of God becomes stronger than your doubts, stronger than your rationality. You can have that. You can just have that, you know? If you give it time, you just pray over it, you worship God in the Spirit, well, cling to Him and say, Lord, ask Him all the questions, argue with Him, do whatever it is, fight with Him, wrestle with Him, but don't, get, don't give up, don't, don't step out and, and, and leave Him. But wrestle with Him until there comes a point in which you are convinced by God that it's going to be okay. Does that make sense? Because when that happens, your yes becomes yes. Not nice yes that we see most, most of the time in church. Yes. Yes, paid the price, yes. Fought for it, yes. Got bashed up for it, yes. Got criticized for it, yes. Got, got abandoned for it, yes. That kind of yes. Not the kind of nice yes that everybody says yes to. The yes that has no no. But the yes that comes through all that. The day came in a most untimely way. We got the news. She got the scholarship. It makes all the difference. It makes medical studies so feel so differently. Does that make sense? But there's a yes that God gives to us. Amen? It's forged in the valley of Bakar. I tell you, we've got good things happening for us. You may be in a place where there's only dryness, but God is developing a precious thing, even more precious than physical outcomes for now. Amen? Let us pray. We welcome you. We are held captive to your presence because your presence is not a resource to us, but is the master and commander of our lives. We thank you that you are here in our, to help us in our schoolwork, in our relationship with people, in the places, especially when it feels not very hopeful. But we thank you that you never, never expected us to get hope from hopeful things outside, in the outside world, but to get hope from you. And so we welcome you. We welcome you into our situation that sometimes feels so locked up, so much at an, as at a, at an impasse, that we cannot help feeling exhausted. But we thank you that you are here today, Lord. Put your hope in us. We open ourselves to you. Thank you that you never fail nor forsake or to abandon us in that valley. I want to invite you to just look to the Lord and say, Lord, what rock, what is the rock you want me to strike? What is the thing you want me to do? What is the difference it's going to make? What is the different thing you want me to do? I've worshipped, I've sung, I've prayed, I've listened, I've sat. So what now? What do you want me to do? What will break the impasse? Lord, we ask you that you come. And for this moment, Lord, give us extra grace, grace that we need. And show up what you want us to do. Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. For some, it's to speak to someone in your workplace or in your family, outside in the non-Christian world. Some, it's to give something.
For some, it's to declare who you are. For some, it involves a no, saying no to something or someone. And so we commit ourselves to you, Lord. We thank you for being with us. We commit the rest of this time to your hands, this week to your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.